Welcome to the Victory Orlando Church Podcast. We are so glad you decided to join us. We want to help you to know God, find freedom, and discover your divine purpose so that you can make a difference with your life. We pray this message encourages you, inspires you, brings you hope, and builds your faith. Well, we've been in a, a series called Dead Man Walking. Let me hear you say that. Dead Man Walking. Well, we've been uh, discussing and kind of diving into Scripture and what does that mean for us? What, what is our life supposed to look like when we follow Jesus? Uh, you know, so many people have different opinions and different views, and uh, I just do my best to just take the opinion of whatever Scripture has um, I can say some things, and I can put some thoughts together, and that's great, but I only go so far. It's the Word of God that has the power. It's the Word of God that brings life, and, and so that's why we always come back to the Word of God. And so um, as I was praying about, you know, what to share and just always seeking God, like, God, what do you want me to speak? And um, God spoke that phrase to me, dead man walking, and I was like, okay, that sounds serious. What does that mean? And God began to just speak to me and just say, and like sometimes there's things in our life that we keep around pretending that there's life in them. We keep uh, thoughts and habits and beliefs and mentalities and all these kinds of things in our life that are actually lifeless, that are actually dead. And we keep them around. We lean on them. We pull on them. We draw on them as if there's life in them, but there's really not. And God is saying he, he's, he's, he's wanting us to awaken spiritually, to begin to live alive in him and uh, treat some things as though they are dead. You know, most of us would not, don't have a dead corpse in our living room. Oh, it got real quiet. That means somebody, hopefully that's not you, don't have one. Can I say none of us? I try not to say none, you know, like what, but most people don't have a dead corpse in their living room. You don't have a, a dead corpse at your dining room table and having a conversation with it. No, that would be weird and disturbing and gross. Like we don't do that. And yet we, after we come to Jesus and he makes all things new in us, so often what we like to do is we like to continue to keep dead things around us. And I believe God is bringing us into a season as believers where he wants to wake us up a little bit bit and say, hey, son, daughter, let's let some dead things go to the graveyard, but you don't need to be in the graveyard. And so it really comes out of this scripture, Romans chapter 6, verse 11, has been kind of our theme verse for this series. Hopefully you have it memorized by now. If not, here's your chance today. It says, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So God doesn't want you to live in death he doesn't want you to live in the graveyard. I know people decorate their houses and everything else and like that right now, but that's not us because we've been made alive unto God. We've been set free from darkness, amen. He says, I want you to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And um, today the word of the Lord is come out of that grave. Look at your neighbor and say, come out of that grave. That's right. God is calling us, come out of that grave. You know, history records a lot of things, but at the time of Jesus, history records that the Roman Empire ruled the world. Uh, you can read all about their armies and their conquests and how they, they ruled and, and, and everything. At that time, Rome was the center, uh, the superpower of the world. And um, as much as history records about the Romans and their lifestyles and everything, one of the things that uh, it records is uh, how the Romans loved to invent cruel and brutal ways to punish criminals. 
Um, it's all throughout, throughout that portion of history. We, that's where crucifixion came from. Um, they would crucify their criminals. They would strip them naked and put them in a public place and nail them to uh, a, a tree, a, a, a cross. Um, we know that's how Jesus was uh, killed before he was resurrected. But um, that was one of the ways they loved to punish people. But uh, another way they, they, they would punish people, they would save this punishment for the worst of the worst uh, that they deemed a criminal. Um, they called it, uh, your sentence was to carry around dead weight. Everybody say dead weight. You had to carry around dead weight. And what they would do is they would strip your shirt, the, 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 the shirt off the person, and they would strap to their back a dead, decaying, typically maggot-filled corpse to their body. And they would have to carry it around until they died. This was a horrible way to die. And what would happen is as that person would have that body strapped to them everywhere they would go, when they would lay down to sleep, like you couldn't get it off of you. Everywhere you went, there was this stench. There was this, the toxins from the dead corpse that were slowly being uh, absorbed into the person's body until this person would die a very public, very slow, very painful death carrying dead weight. It's, I'm not trying to gross anybody out. It's just a historical fact, a very it's inhumane uh, way of uh, uh, treating criminals. But so often, this is really the picture. Sometimes we realize that sometimes we don't. This is really the picture of people's lives, how they're carrying around dead weight. I brought some dead weight today. I don't have a dead body. Somebody said, praise the Lord. But I've got this camping backpack that I brought. I filled it with all kinds of things. If you don't believe me how heavy it is, you can come up here after service. Try to put it on. So I brought some dead weight with me today. Just as an illustration, I'm going to strap this to me. I've got some dead weight on there now. I'm going to carry this around for a little bit because I believe it's such a picture sometimes of our lives. Even after we've come to know Christ, we carry around dead weight. And what we don't realize is that after a period of time, this dead weight, it might not happen immediately, but slowly over time, the toxins and the poisons from this dead weight seep into our mind. They seep into our heart. They seep into our words and our actions. And we don't even realize that it's dragging us down to the grave. But you've been set free from the grave. You've been set free in Christ from the curse of death, hell, and the grave. Come on, you've been made alive in Christ. Why would we then allow deadness to be remaining in our lives? And this is not a message about being perfect, because nobody's going to ever be perfect. We're never going to be perfect. There was one perfect person. His name was Jesus. It's not about being perfect, but it's just realizing that it's almost a mindset change where we've got to shift out of this gear of thinking, I'm just, I'm just a terrible sinner trying to make it. No. Scripture says when you come into Christ, he says, you become a new creation. God does a miracle transformation in your spirit. You can't do it on your own. But by the power of the resurrection of Jesus, there's a miracle transformation when somebody says, Jesus, I make you the Lord and Savior of my life. Boom, right there in that moment, your spirit receives the life of God. He says, you become new. The old is gone. The sin part of you is removed. 
removed. It doesn't exist anymore. He says, and now you become. You aren't hoping to be one day. He says, in that moment, you become the righteousness of God in Christ. So as righteous as Christ is, that is what you become in that moment. That's a good place to give God some praise. You're not a dead sinner anymore. You've been brought out of that grave, but then so often we go back to the grave on our own. I'm going to just take this dead weight with me. I'm just going to live in this graveyard, and I'm just, you know, I know, I know Christ has saved me, but I'm, I'm just not good enough to, to minister to people. I, I just don't know how to pray as good as you do, so you just do all the praying. I just, I, and it's just a mindset where we've allowed ourselves to, oh, I, to, to love Jesus, to be saved, we got that fire insurance, but we're going to keep living in the grave. And today I come with the message of hope to say, come out of that grave. Yeah. It's time to come out of the grave in our thinking, in our believing. Like, it, it, it's been long enough. And, and so often we stay in the grave in areas where, you know, like we're waiting for that other person to come to us before we can forgive thinking that that's going to make it all better. We stay in the grave when it's like every day, this is just not fair, and you don't know what happened to me. We're waiting for justice, right? There's that graveyard of the lingering emotional pain that we refuse to allow it to be healed. Come on, somebody. There's the graveyard of bitterness, the dead weight of unforgiveness and anxiety. This is getting really heavy. There's the dead weight of resentment and gossip. How about the dead weight of disappointment? Anybody know that one? The dead weight of anxiety and depression. Come on, Jesus came to set you free. I love what it says, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. If you don't believe me, you can believe the scripture. This is the Passion Translation. It says, at last, let me hear you say at last. At last we have more dead weight to carry around. Come on, what does he say? It says, at last we have freedom. Let's say it out loud. Say Freedom! Oh, that was not good. Let's try it one more time. Everybody say freedom. freedom. That was a little better, but I need to get your very best brave heart. If you haven't seen that movie, I'm sorry for the rest of us. We know what it means. You're going to shout it from inside because all your intestines are still inside. A one, two, three, freedom. freedom. That was better. Come on. He says, at last we have freedom for Christ has set us free. One translation says, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. It is not for the graveyard. It is not for lack. It is not for sickness and disease. It is not for brokenness and hiding in the shadows. No, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. He says, we must always cherish this truth, hold on to this truth, and firmly refuse to go back into the bondage of the past. Now, that part is not as encouraging to me. Because I really wish the scripture would have said, hold fast to this truth because God will make sure you never go back. Wouldn't that have been a whole lot better? If it was just, God, you just do it. You make sure I never go back. But that's not what he said. He said, you hold firm. You refuse to go back. It's like Jesus came and took this dead weight off of you. He took this off of you. Jesus, I make you the Lord and Savior of my life. Oh, praise the Lord. He says, refuse to go back. But so often we're like, well, I know you're my provider, but I just can't give today because I'm probably not going to have enough if I do. I just can't forgive them because you don't know what they did to me. I just can't serve because I'm too busy. God, I like, I'll, I'll worship when I'm ready in my own way. He says, refuse to ever go back to the 
to the dead weight. The good news is you've been set free from darkness. You've been brought out of darkness into light. The weight has been lifted off of your shoulders. You don't have to go back to the dead weight. And I've learned in my own life there's two things that come at us in big ways that try to keep us in the graveyard. Two big things that come to try to keep us carrying around this dead weight. The first one is this, is unforgiveness. If you're taking notes, maybe you'll write these two things down because I've just learned that pretty much every day there's things coming at me to try to get me to enter into unforgiveness. What I know is that you can be led by the spirit of unforgiveness and bitterness and offense or you can be led by the spirit of God but not both. You're either being led by God's spirit or you're being led by the spirit of offense and bitterness. And you can look around our world and just realize that the spirit of offense and bitterness is available 24-7. Everywhere you go, that spirit is looking to, to take advantage, to get a, a access to our lives. Scripture talks about it and, and says it is the devil's scheme. It is his plan to bring unforgiveness into our lives. He, he wants to attack us through this avenue when we choose to allow the spirit of unforgiveness in our lives. We have to realize that forgiving is really part of the spiritual battle that we're in. Forgiveness, unforgiveness. We are in a spiritual battle. It's not sci-fi or spooky or anything like that. It's just the reality. We're in a spiritual battle. And let me say this. Your life and your calling is too important to sacrifice on the right to be offended. Okay, I got three people that believe that today. Let me say it one more time on this side, see if this side believes it more. Your life and your calling is too important to be sacrificed on the idol of your right to be offended. Like you are valuable. Come on, this is my side over here. They got my back. Let's go. Come on. Unforgiveness, offense, and bitterness will always cut us off from the presence of God. Always will cut us off from the presence of God. Uh, there's many specific ways that unforgiveness or bitterness, offense come at us. But if we were to strip away all the details, right, all the specifics of the situation. I know every situation has its own nuance and detail. But if we just get rid of all of that and look at the core, like what are some of the ways that offense and bitterness come at us? Well, most of the time offense and bitterness will come when we've genuinely been mistreated. Somebody, something happened, somebody did something, whatever, and we were definitely treated unfairly. There was some injustice that happened. Sometimes unforgiveness and offense comes at us when we believe we were mistreated, but we weren't. And other times, unforgiveness and bitterness come at us when we have a view of how we think someone else was mistreated. It had nothing to do with us, and it sounds like when somebody says, well, I'm offended for you. What? Nothing happened to you. Well, I'm offended for, you know, like, it's just, it's the craziest thing. But we have to, like, we have to get out of this carnal mentality that this world is all there is. No, no, no. You are not citizens of this world. You are citizens of heaven. So come on, come out of the grave of carnal thinking. You are a spirit being. You are alive in God. And we've got to be aware of how the enemy wants to strap dead weight back onto you. If, if I was going to go run a race today with this dead weight, I would lose. Not because I'm slow, y'all. Your boy is fast. I challenge anybody to a race without the dead weight, you know. 
Like, I'm, I've got some quicks. I'm fast. And, but when I have this dead weight, I cannot respond as quickly because it's pulling me back a little bit. I cannot move as fast as I can. I can do some things, sure. I could still be a part, but not to the best of my ability, not with all I've got. Why? Because this dead weight is constantly holding me back. This is what unforgiveness does in our lives. It is a dead weight meant to slow you down. Sure, that, yeah, sure, you'll show up every now and then. Sure, you'll give a little bit when you can or whatever it is, but living to your fullest, man, it's so much harder when you're carrying around the dead weight. We've got to realize is that anytime somebody is led by the spirit of unforgiveness or bitterness or offense, right, we will, it will always lead to a place of destruction. Um, and, you know, I think it's important to recognize that when we talk about forgiveness, that you can do it. You can forgive. You can. If you choose to, that's what forgiveness is, is a choice. Forgiveness is not depending on the other person to come to you and say, I'm sorry, whatever. If you're waiting for the other person, you might be waiting the rest of your life. No, unforgiveness and bitterness is a cancer. It needs to be removed as quick as possible. Like we have to be people we choose to forgive. Like, and, and I believe that forgiveness isn't something we just choose when something bad happens to us. A long time ago, my pastor, when I was growing up, he told me, he said, before I even start my day, I just decide I'm going to choose to forgive. Before anything ever happens to me, I'm just going to make the decision. I'm going to be hard to offend today. You're going to have to work really hard to offend me. And even as hard as you're working, I'm going to work harder to be unoffendable. I'm going to forgive no matter what. I'm, like, it's that decision before anything comes at me that allows me in the moment of pressure to be like, I choose to forgive. See, forgiveness is not pretending nothing happened. Something probably happened. It might have happened to you or somebody else. It's not pretending. No, no, it's just a choice of my will to say, even though something happened, I will still forgive. It's not, it's not, it's not making that it wasn't a big deal. It probably was. It's not saying it didn't hurt. It probably did. It has nothing to do with any of the details or the situation or the person. Forgiveness is all about the condition and the contents of your heart. What you're going to allow to be part of your life. Like it's just a choice to say I'm going to lay this dead weight down of unforgiveness and bitterness and offense. The strap just broke. Praise the Lord. (laughs) See, the moment moment you decide to lay down the, the, the weight, it can't stay on you. Why? Because the power of the resurrection is inside of you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I love what Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32 says. It says, be kind and compassionate to one another. Come on, just look at that person sitting next to you and smile. Single people, that's a good time to get some phone numbers. (laughs) Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. That means... He's telling you before they even do anything, they're smiling pretty at you. And he's telling you, get ready. Get ready. You're going to have to forgive them today. Forgive each other. How do we do that? Just as Christ forgave you. This is what forgiven people do. We forgive. We forgive. Forgiven people forgive. We choose to forgive. And and I know as soon as you choose to forgive that person, there's going to be moments where the emotions come back, where all the feelings flood back into you and that thing wants to flare up again. Come on, any real people in the house or just me today? Come on, okay, I see a couple hands, a couple honest people. We'll have a a prayer service for everybody else at the end. (laughs) 
That's my best pastor joke of the day. <laughs> it's always fun to laugh in church, you know what I mean? I never wanted to be in one of those stuffy churches where, like, if you sneeze or looked weird, then they move you out. No, just I just, I just want to, you know, serving God is the, the greatest, funnest thing we could do. Being in his house is, like, is the best. You know, it's the best. It's like that best friend's house you went to and his mom always had pizza pockets or, you know, pizza bagels. Like, that's the house of God, y'all. That's why David said, he said, I was glad when they said, let's go to the house of the Lord because it's the best place. Like, so I just hope you have the best time. I hope you laugh. I hope maybe you'll cry a little bit, whatever. I just hope you have the best time when you're here. And by the end, you'll be like, wait, is this over already? You know, like, like that's so much better than me. like, when is this over? Amen. All right. Just have to remind you of that sometimes. So we, we've got to, we forgive in the moment, right? But then comes tomorrow. And we got to walk in forgiveness a little bit more. We got to choose forgiveness again. Because sometimes, you know, you, like there's people I've had to forgive like a billion times. And not because I didn't deal with the issue that's in my heart. I just had to remind my soul and my mind. Soul, mind, you need to renew yourself to the word. I had to remind myself, no, I've already chosen to forgive that person. No, self, I will love that person even though they still hate me. Even though they're still talking bad about me, I'm going to still love them. And I'm not a pushover. I'm not a doormat. I know where my boundaries are. But even where my boundaries are, love never stops on my boundaries. Kindness and compassion never stops on my boundaries. I'm going to choose to walk in love. I'm going to choose to bless and not curse. I'm going to choose not to gossip and talk bad about that person. I've got to choose to remind myself in those moments because the feelings, the emotions, they will come back. We've got to be ready. I'm just sharing this with you because if you don't, if you put all of your forgiveness, right, if you, if you put, put the need for forgiveness into that moment where you need somebody else to come back to you to, to start the process of forgiveness, well, if they just come to me and they admit that they were wrong, then I'll forgive them. You're just setting yourself up for more hurt and more disappointment. That's called reconciliation. That's a different message forgiveness is its own thing and and it's really forgiveness starts between you and God the Father God I forgive this person I release what happened I choose not to hold on to this unforgiveness any longer first it's between me and the Father right God I forgive them second part of this process of forgiveness is God forgive me for holding on to this offense cleanse me God I thank you you are faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me God Forgive me for holding on to this offense. I choose to forgive like Christ forgave me. Why do we forgive? Well, I don't know about y'all, but I forgive because <laughs> I know my past. And I've been forgiven of a lot. Anybody else? Come on, Christ has forgiven us a lot. If you want to get out of the grave, forgiveness is key. Here's another one. Another big thing. First is unforgiveness coming at us. The other thing that comes at us trying to keep us in the grave is pride. Pride is the secret destroyer of people. Pride is the secret destroyer of families, businesses. I'm going to try to put this one on with just the one strap. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for setting me free. Pride is the secret destroyer of people. I believe really that pride is the root, at the root of all sin. Why? Because pride says, God, I, I, I got this. I don't need you. I can figure this out on my own. My way is the best way, so let me do what I think is best. I'm gonna, I feel like this is right, so I'm going to do that instead, rather than uh, uh, sub submitting myself to the truth of God's word, right? It's just 
pride. Pride will cause a person to think of themselves before anything and anyone else. Pride will cause a person to think that they're always right. That no, no matter what anybody else says or does, that they are correct and don't try to tell them differently. What does a pride do in our life? Well, pride will destroy in every way. Proverbs 16, 18 says it this way. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride will bring destruction every single time. What does pride do in a person's life? Well, pride will blind and deceive a person. See, pride will come to block or cloud your spiritual vision. You won't be able to see what God is doing. You won't be able to, pride will block your view of the contents of your heart. You won't even realize, a person won't even realize how prideful they've become because it, it blinds and deceives a person. See, deception is believing something that isn't true. So uh, when a person is deceived, blinded by pride, then they're like, I'm not prideful. Why don't tell me what to think? It's just pride. It's the spirit of pride. When we always think someone else is at fault. When we think that everything is fine. I didn't do anything wrong. I'm not to blame. It's all them. I know what's best. When we buy into that, then we have no reason to change. We have no reason to have accountability. We have no reason when we're prideful to need a teachable spirit. Can anybody say anything to you or do you know it all already? It's called pride. And when I think I don't have any problems, that's your problem. You got pride, you know. Like it's the spirit of pride that blinds and deceives. When I, when I believe that I don't need the truth of God's word to guide my decisions, it's pride. It's blinded and deceiving. And see, the thing about it is, is that when I'm blinded and I can't see the condition of my heart, then I have no reason to repent. Because I don't need to repent. I, I'm good. I got this. I, no. We, we need to bring ourselves to that place where we're constantly before God with this, this spirit of repentance. God, like, I don't get it right all the time. That doesn't mean I, I sin every five seconds, but there are moments when I don't get it right. And I need to be able to put the weight down. I seriously need to put this down, though. <laughs> There's moments where I need to lay down what I've been carrying and say, God, I, I need you. See, pride says, God, I, I'll let you know when I need you. But the opposite is humility, it's submission. See, pride, what does it do in our lives? It makes us resistant to God. James 4, 6, and 7 says, God opposes the proud. He resists the proud, but shows favor to the humble. So two things you can choose. You know, reading the scripture, then it's no wonder why so many people who haven't dealt with the pride in their lives are always like, well, God just seems so far away. I just, I, I, when I pray, I just feel like it's ineffective. I don't feel like there's anything happening. It's the people who haven't dealt with the pride in their lives. It's like, ah, oh, church has just kind of come that thing that I do, comes routine. It's no wonder then understanding what's happening is that when we have pride in our lives and we haven't dealt with it, right, then it's because God is resisting us. He's opposing us because of the pride in us. That's why we've got to be willing to lay it down and come to that place of repentance. Look what he says next. He says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So it's not just submit yourself because you're terrible. No, it's when we are in this place of submission to God, like the devil can't stand it. He can't stick around. Like submission to God looks like obedience. That's what it really means. It's, it's saying, God, you have the 
You have the final say in my decisions. I might feel a certain way, but God, when your word says that I should believe this way, I'll go with the way your word says. God, even when you speak something and I don't fully understand, maybe my mind doesn't agree yet, God, when I'm submitted to you, I'll still go your way. It's submission. And you can tell your level of submission versus pride by how quick you are to obey God's word. You can tell your level of pride versus submission to him when someone speaks something to you like, how quick are you to be under authority or you refuse to be under authority, right? Like we've just got to realize it's a posture of our heart. It's an attitude that we carry around, either prideful or humble. It's one way or the other. So I, I wrote down a few uh, questions to ask, like how can I tell if I'm prideful or if I'm, if, if I'm in a spirit of humility. If you want to deal with the pride in your heart, you're going to have to have some deep self-examination. We got to get past the surface a little bit because there are those people like who have the, you know, their grave is the obvious grave. We, everybody sees it, you know. But then there's other people who have the shiny, fancy exterior and their grave is the internal grave and you don't really know it because they don't want you to see it. Right? If we want to deal with the pride, we're going to have to get past the exterior and get down to the roots where it's dirty, where it's messy, where you're going to have to uproot and pull some things out. So I, I wrote down a few questions to help us to kind of examine our own lives. Maybe, do you answer yes to any of these questions? Do I think the rules don't apply to me? Um, my position or my title or culture tells me that whatever, uh, that whatever I want to do is okay. When I feel like how I, my feelings are the most important things, do I, need, do I think I don't need anyone's help or advice? Or do I think um, I'm okay with choosing whatever I think is best instead of waiting on God to come through on what he promised? If you answered yes to any of those, you probably have a root of pride somewhere that it's time to deal with. And the Holy Spirit brought you here today to shine some light in those areas. And if you don't know the answers, like you're like, I'm not sure about that question. Ask your mother-in-law or your spouse. They'll tell you, honestly, where some pride is in your life. Come on. What I know is this is who you are, who you are is too important to allow the obstacle of pride to remain in your life. Who you are. You are valuable. You are valuable. It's time to come out of the grave. It's time to come into life. It's time to deal with some unforgiveness. It's time to deal with the arrogance and the pride in our hearts so that we can live in strength and humility and obedience before God. Um, wherever you find yourself on this, you know, I believe that it's important to recognize that the grave was never brought to you by God. God doesn't bring badger away to teach you a lesson. Okay, can we, let me say this on this side this time. I thought y'all had my back on this side. Let me try the other. Second chance. God is not your problem. Come on. God is not your problem. God doesn't send bad your way. Every good and perfect gift comes from God the Father. Now, God does correct us. God does rebuke us, right? But that's different because he's a loving father. Side note, as parents, we never correct or spank or discipline out of anger. Never in the heat of the moment. Why? Because then I'm driving in the anger. I'm driving in all those things. Scripture tells us if we spare the rod of correction, we will spoil the child. What do you do with spoiled food? Goes in the garbage. Your children were not meant to be spoiled. So when we spare the rod, Scripture says we're spoiling the child. 
We're not going to spare the rod. We're going to do it in love. When we correct our children, it's not because we hate them. It's not because we want to hurt them. It's because we want to keep them from harm. It's because we want to help them to grow, to learn, because we love them so much. So when we discipline our children, I always, you know, had this rule like I'm never going to discipline in the moment. We'll always have, everybody has a moment to cool down. And when I disciplined Bella, we would always sit and talk slowly and calmly. And, you know, we just made the decision we're going to discipline differently. Maybe you weren't disciplined that way. I'm sorry. But that doesn't mean you need to pass that on to the next generation. We can teach something new, a godly way to bring discipline. Because the truth is our kids are learning how to interact with God the Father by how they interact with us. So some people, the grave, Lord, help me say this the right way. For some people, the grave is how they were raised, how they were before. This is how things have always been. So this is how I am. It's just an excuse to stay in the grave. Today, God is calling you, hey, come out of that grave. Who you were is gone. You have been made new. You've been set free from those things. And so it's time to awaken to this new reality. Listen, John 10.10, Jesus is speaking and he says it best. He says, the thief, the enemy, the devil comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it to the full in abundance. So it's real easy to see the evidence of what's happening. So if the way that we're acting is causing uh, things to be broken or destroyed or there's things being stolen, that is not Jesus. That is not the will of God. God comes to bring life into the full, right? So today we're coming out of that grave. Amen. We're we're, We're getting rid of the dead weight. We're getting rid of some things so that we can step into life. I I believe God wants to quicken your steps. Some of us have felt like we were literally being held back. And you have these dreams. You have visions. Like you you have this passion inside of you. And you're like, I want to do this, but I, I feel like I literally can't. It's because you've been carrying around some dead weight that's trying to pull you to the grave. And today, God is saying, hey, we're going to lay those things down. Come out of that place. God has strength for you. He wants to equip you to run your race with endurance with every step. Come on, somebody. I'm preaching 87% better than y'all are amening today. But that's all right. Sometimes you got to preach to yourself. And I'm preaching this to myself today. Sometimes when we go through things in life, things are out of our control sometimes. And then it starts to feel heavy. All the weights start to come. Oh, how are we going to do this? Well, if we don't do, like all these expectations, then everything's come at us, right? Because we're people. And then it just starts to feel like, oh, despair, disappointment. Oh, man, why do I even bother? Come on, I'm preaching to myself, self Get out of that grave. Get out of your pity party. Get up and remember who you are. You are an overcomer. You are more than a conqueror. Just like we sang, I don't need the situation to change to sing hallelujah. I don't need somebody to come along and and make things better for me to be able to lift my hands. Come on. There is strength that's available when I will get after and get in the presence of God. When I will praise him no matter what's going on. And I want to show us real quick today. 
There's two different times that Jesus called people out of a grave. And I believe there's some, some principles in here for us that, to be able to grab a hold of. Two different times. The first one is Mark chapter 5. If you've got your Bible, you can turn there. Verse 1 says, They went across the lake to a region of the Garanesis. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs or lived in the graveyard. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart, broke the irons off his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. I wonder if he was training for the world's strongest man. No, he wasn't. Listen to this. Night and day he lived among the tombs in the graveyard and in the hills, and he would cry out and cutting himself with stones. See, the devil, he's, he's, he's not all that creative. He's got nothing new. I mean, we think, you know, like people cutting themselves and acting mental health is, is a new thing. No, it's not. He's up to the same old tricks that he always was. The devil is there to kill, steal, and destroy. The devil is there to torment. That's what fear is all about. It says that there is no love in fear because fear involves torment. Fear involves torment. So, you know... I'm going to go on and stay on track. Night and day he was in the tombs cutting himself with stones. We don't even know this guy's name. Uh, scripture, people always call him the man with the legion of demons. Right? That's how he's known. We don't know his name. We don't know his story. All we see is his entrance onto the scene living in the graveyard. It's a visual picture. See, the longer you're in the graveyard, the more torment, the more uh, imbalance there will be, the more things don't seem like normal and you can't even recognize who you were before because you've been in the grave for so long and it seems like it will never change. It says the people of the town they chained him up. They didn't even want him around because they just, they, they didn't know who he was or what he was going to do. And it's better just like, we can't even deal with that. And so he's just living out in the graveyard. What was impossible when Jesus stepped on the scene, all of a sudden changed. See, it's significant. It says when Jesus got out of the boat, all of a sudden the darkness recognized, uh-oh, we in trouble. <laughs> It ran. He ran to Jesus, you know. See, I, I, I believe this is how many people see their lives. Forced into the grave by a situation. Forced off of what God called them to do because of a mindset they've had. They're not good enough. Or whatever it is. People see themselves in this light. We can't be who God uh, called us to be because this is how I was raised. Or, or whatever disorder was spoken over my life. Or whatever it is. People have taken themselves into the grave. There might have been a disorder. There might have been brokenness. There might have been divorce in your family history. But when Jesus shows up, everything changes. When Jesus shows up, light enters into the scene. When Jesus shows up, hope enters into the scene. Love enters into the scene. Uh, miracles enter into the scene. Everything changes when Jesus is invited in. Come on, verse 8. Jesus spoke to, them, to him and said, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Come out of him. Like, you don't belong there. Come out of this grave. It seemed impossible to all the townspeople that this guy would ever have a sound mind. It seemed impossible that he would ever be free, looking normal. Uh, some translations uh, describe him as running around naked. Like, he was shaking, like, people would, don't look over their boys and girls, you know. Like, like it, they never would have thought this guy 
could have been a missionary. They never would have thought that guy could be good enough to be an evangelist. They never would have thought that guy was worthy to sit down and talk to Jesus. But here, he's the one that Jesus spent the most time with. He's there in this place and he heals them. The, un, the unclean spirit leaves. It's the power of deliverance. See, when Jesus is really there, you can't help but deliverance start popping up places. You can't help but drug addicts be set free. You can't help but pornography lose its appeal. Come on. When Jesus is there, there is freedom. At last we have freedom. Can you imagine this guy? Finally, thank you, Jesus. It is for freedom. It wasn't for the graveyard that Jesus healed that man. No, it says that Jesus cast the devil out of that man. And then it says he, he must have got him some clothes and combed his hair. Because when the townspeople came out to see him, it says he was sitting there calmly in his right mind having a convo with Jesus. They probably had gone to Starbucks and were sipping, you know, drinking some coffee or something. Or maybe they had a turkey leg, <laughs> eating it, you know. But they were sitting there having a conversation. The people were amazed. They were like, this is the, this is the crazy graveyard man. But when Jesus is brought into the scene, everything changes. But don't let selfishness creep in, right? Because, yes, freedom is for you. Freedom is to set you free. Jesus wants to bring deliverance, a sound mind, wholeness, strength into your life. But it's not just for you. Verse 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat, because all the people that thought that was impossible didn't want him there anymore, they said, Jesus, you got to go. Isn't that crazy? Hmm. As Jesus was getting in the boat to leave, the man who had been demon-possessed begged him to go with him. Jesus, please let me go with you. If I could just stay here with you, everything will be fine. I could just stay in this little cocoon right next to Jesus, and I'll just be great. Just me and you, Jesus, skipping through a field of daisies. Just everything's going to be awesome, you know, like with Jesus. And, and, but that's not what Jesus didn't let him do that. It said Jesus did not let him go. Like, wow, that's kind of mean, Jesus. Just let the man go with you. He wants to hang out with you. He wants to be a disciple. He wants to grow close with Jesus. And Jesus is like, no, you can't go with me. But it wasn't just trying to be mean. He said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy. And you see, freedom is so that you can take it and give it away. Freedom was given to this man so that he could go what seemed impossible. There's no way that guy could be a missionary. No way that guy could be uh, used by God and anointed. So the man went away and not sad, not full of church hurt, not full of Jesus hurt, not sad, well, Jesus wouldn't let me use my gifts. Jesus wouldn't, no. He just went away and began to tell in the Decapolis. That's 10 cities. He went to 10 cities to tell people how much Jesus had done for him, and the people were amazed. Are y'all getting this today? Do you see it? Yes, Jesus wants you to be free. Jesus wants to restore you, but not just for the sake of restoring you to say, look how good I did on this one. No, he wants to restore you and fill you with hope and strength to give you abundance and everything so that you could everywhere you go tell people about him. The best way to be a light, the best way to make a difference is right here. It's an open book test. He said, simply tell them what God has done for you. The best way you can lead people to know Christ at your, at your workplace and in your neighborhood and in your family and at the grocery store is to tell people what God has done for you. If you've been set free from drugs, tell them. If you've been set free from alcohol, tell them. If you've been set free from whatever it is. Tell people. 
Here's the other story today. Last story I want to share today. John chapter 11. The second time Jesus called somebody out of the grave. is the story of a guy named Lazarus. John chapter 11, verse 1. It says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This is the same Mary whose brother Lazarus now lay sick was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. We actually read that story in John 12, the very next chapter. But since John wrote this book, he's kind of, he's just, he's just giving us that little like uh, behind the scenes look. This is that same Mary that we see worshiping Jesus in the next chapter. Breaking the bank to worship Jesus. It's this, this Mary and her brother Lazarus is sick. So verse 3, the sisters send word to Jesus. Somebody go tell Jesus, Lazarus is sick and we need him to come. Lord, the one you love, your best friend, the ones you're closest to, that he's sick. He, we need a miracle. We need you, Jesus, to come and, and heal him like you've done so many times. Like you, like you healed the blind man, like you healed the deaf man, like you healed the lepers. Come heal this man. He, you're close to him. He, he's a close friend. We need you, Jesus. Please come. Verse 4. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. So question did Jesus receive the message that his friend was sick? Okay, Miss Rhonda knows. She said yes. Jesus received the message that his friend was sick. He said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. That's a good place to stop and say the thing that's trying to convince you that it's over is not going to end how you think it's going to end. God is going to get the glory. I know the bank said no or whatever, but it's not going to end how the bank said God is going to get the glory. I know the doctor gave you three months, but this is not going to end how you think it's going to end. I know it looks like your marriage is on the brink of divorce, but this is not going to end how you think it's going to end. God is going to get the glory. Come on, this is Jesus' words. Verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary and Lazarus. So there's, this, is, this is more than like this is deep relationship. You know, they let Jesus stay in their house. So there was some relationship there. Like uh, he, he loved them. So when he heard Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Now, I don't know about you, but that's kind of a head scratcher to me. Anybody else like find that a little odd? Like, I imagine the scripture should read something like, when Jesus received the message, he hurried up and went to Bethany and healed Lazarus because this was his friends whom he loved. But it doesn't say that. It says he stayed where he was. Some translations describe his staying as hanging out. Chilling with the boys, living my best life. Like, he was hanging out. Now, it's understandable if he would have been like feeding the 5,000 Guys, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching right now, feeding this 5,000 with the two loaves, or the five loaves and the two fishes. You could understand it a little better, his, his delay, if it was like when, when Jairus came and was like, Jesus, come heal my sick daughter. And then on the way, he was interrupted by the woman with the issue of blood, and there was a delay. You could kind of understand it there. You could understand it if he was with the ten lepers who were being healed, but there was no sermons. There was no parables. There was no miracles. It was Jesus and the 12 hanging out. They probably didn't have a, a PlayStation. They didn't have Netflix and chill. But, you know, it was, it was that mentality. They're just hanging out, having a good time, waiting two more days. But remember, Jesus had already told them what would happen. This isn't going to end the way you think it is. 
The sickness, what did he say? The sickness will not end in death. He was specific, and yet nobody else got it. Come on. I don't know about you, uh, but when I'm in a desperate place, praying, God, please, God, I need you to show up. Like, I want God to show up. Like, don't we want him? To, we want him to show up right away. But I want him to show up and be like, part the clouds. Boom, baby, I'm here. You know, like, that's how I want God to show up and, and, and perform a miracle. Do what I need, you know, right? Do what I need. But do, here's the question. Do we just trust and love God when, when he does what we want, when we want it? Or have we made him into a little G God because we don't trust his timing and what he says? Is he really Lord of all or is he just Savior? Is he just the one who, you know, gave you the fire insurance to skip out on hell? But is he really Lord of all? Verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany, we get a little more backstory. Bethany was less than two miles from where Jesus was. I don't know how long it takes you to walk two miles. But even if, we, even if we give them like some slack, it was maybe a half a day's journey from where they were to where they needed to be for Lazarus. I mean, it was short enough that the messenger made it. And it says it was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them in the loss of their brother. That, that phrase there, it wasn't like Jews, their friends. This would have been Jews like part of the religious leaders, the that would have come to bring comfort at the passing, the loss of a loved one. What's significant about these four days is that this specific sect of, of Pharisees and Sadducees believed that when a person died, it took four days for their soul to actually leave the body. How long was the body in the tomb? Okay, stay with me now. They came to comfort them, and when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary, she was a little angry, stayed at the house. Mary's trying to have faith in a faith, faithless situation. <laughs> Anybody been there before? Mary's the one, like, she has relationship with Jesus. She's the worshiper, right? And yet problems still came to her house, right? There's still pain at her house. Ever had pain show up in your life and in your home? And as soon as the pain shows up, you start questioning God. God, why did you allow this? God, why didn't you do something? In the middle of this, I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. Here's Mary, the worshiper. Her brother's sick. She sent the message pleading, Jesus, please come. But now it's too late. It's too late, Jesus. I'm staying in the house. Mary's in the house, and she's being comforted by these Jews. Can I just say, be careful who's licking your wounds when there's loss, when you feel hurt, when you feel disappointed, when you're questioning God. Be careful who's comforting you, rehearsing what happened coddling the pain rather than bringing, bringing you to a place of healing. Be careful. Mary, something in her, holds her back. But Martha runs to Jesus. Verse 21, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, somebody underline that, highlight it. Even now, even in death, even in lack, even in despair, even in brokenness, even in impossible. What is it in your life? Even now. Everybody can have the other attitude. But I believe God wants to give us this even now. Some tenacity in your faith. 
Come on, something to awaken you. Even now, God will give you whatever you ask. There's something different inside of this even now person that can look at death and say, God, even now, even though things seem dead and over, even now when it seems like my dreams will never take place, even now, God, you can still do the impossible. It's this even now attitude that God wants us to get a hold of today to come out of this grave. Come on. It's this even now attitude. Let me ask you this same question again. Is he Lord over the grave or is he just Savior? Come on. He's Lord of all. Verse 28. After she had said this, she went back and called Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up and quickly went to him. See, I believe this is a picture of the kind of people we need in our lives when we're hurt. There will always be an abundance of people like it describes the Jews who came to comfort Mary. There will always be an abundance of those people who want to pull you down. Oh, just so bad down. They just want to always pull you into their offense, pull you into their hurt. There will always be those people, but there will always be somebody who will come and pull you aside and be like, come on, you're better than this. Don't fall into this trap. Don't, don't carry this dead weight around. I love that Martha came to Mary and said, she, she pulled her aside. Come on, Jesus is over here. And she brought her, Mary, to the place where we find her in the next chapter. I wonder if we would see the story of Mary at the feet of Jesus, pouring perfume out and drying his feet with her hair in an act of worship. I wonder if we see Mary in this place of worship just a few moments later, had Martha not come and pulled her to the place where she belonged all the time. People will pull you one way or the other, and if they're not pulling you to Jesus, then be, that's an alert signal. We need people who are going to pull us to Jesus. And here's the thing, right? The Jews would have come from the place where Jesus was. Imagine the chatter. Oh, yeah, I was there when the messenger came and told Jesus. He just sat back down and they started playing PlayStation again. They ordered another pizza. He could have been here, but he wasn't. I'm so sorry. I know, I know. It's like Jesus could have shown up, but he, you know, he might not. Ever had that person who wants to plant the seeds of doubt? What if, but what if he doesn't? No, the Bible says that God hears us when we pray. He's a good father, but he's not. This is not genie and Aladdin. He's not there to just do our little whims at whatever we think. And he's using the story. Remember, he said this will not end in death. It will cause the Son of God, Jesus, to be glorified. So what if whatever we're going through, whatever looks like it's dead in our lives, is not really about the grave, but what if we just begin to see it as, God, I thank you that even through this thing, you're calling me out of this grave so that you would be glorified in my life. Everything we go through is an opportunity for Jesus to be glorified short on time, so i got to hurry. Mary reached the place where Jesus was, and she saw him, fell at his feet. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along, he was moved in his spirit and troubled. He said, where have you laid him? One translation says, take me to the grave. I love that because Jesus is not afraid of our grave. He's not afraid of our dead places. He's not scared to be like, oh, i got to stay outside of here. He's not scared of the dead weight. He's not scared of the things that stink. No, in fact, in the next verse, 
It says they got to the tomb and Jesus was deeply moved. There was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. He said, take away the stone. <laughs> Martha says, Lord, by this time, it's four days, there's a bad odor. Jesus, don't go in there. It's a little embarrassing. It's going to stink a little bit. Jesus, what do people know? You know, Jesus, if I go down to the altar, people are going to think I'm not Christian enough or I'm not good enough. Jesus, what? If... No, no. Jesus is not scared of the grave. He's not scared to get in the mess with you. He's not scared of the things that stink in our lives. He's there in the graveyard not to stay and hang out, but to bring life to dead places. He's there to take a weight off of you, to get a burden off of your life so that you can live free, so that you can live empowered. He's there to bring resurrection to you. So where did your faith die? Where did your dreams die? Where did you give up on having a great marriage? Where did you give up and say, this is just how I was and how I'm always going to be? No, Jesus says, take me there. Take me there. Verse 41, they took away the stone. Come on. Jesus looked up. He said, Father, I thank you. You've heard me. I knew that you always heard me, but I said this for the benefit of people standing here that they may believe you sent me. It's interesting. Jesus prays this out loud. He could have snapped his fingers raised Lazarus he could have thought this but no he's praying this prayer out loud he said so that people here would believe in him do you see it coming out of the grave is not just about you yes Jesus wants to bring life to you he wants to resurrect some things for you but so that people in your life could believe that Jesus can do it he wants you to bring him along so that everywhere you go his resurrection power can bring life to things Verse 43, when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Come out of that grave. It says that Lazarus got up, the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen. Like you imagine like this mummy trying to come out. He's alive. He's coming forth. He's got the power of God in his body, but he's still wrapped up in his past. He's still wrapped up, and that's some of us. We're trying to serve God. We're doing the things, but we've been wrapped up in some weights. And Jesus says, take the grave clothes off and let him go. Come on, all over this place, let's get to our feet. I believe this is the word of the Lord, to take off the grave cloth. He wants to let you go, loose you into the power of his spirit today. You've been in the grave long enough. You've been wrapped up by the past long enough. Today is the day. Come out of that grave. Thank you for listening to the Victory Orlando Church Podcast. We hope today's message helps you take another step closer to knowing God and finding freedom through his word.